Jumping from the buying to the wholesale side, I will say was probably one of the hardest moments in my career. And while the role was a high visible role and, and really exciting, you know, the work that had to be done was very tough. You're dealing with personalities. I wasn't necessarily welcomed into the wholesale world to be transparent. And so I had to build relationships. I had to build trust. And it doesn't take a day. You have to kind of prove yourself because when you're on the wholesale side, you're catering to buyers who are used to being catered to. If you're tempered, you won't be successful. If you're, you know, a smart aleck and you got a sharp tongue, you know, it could hurt your business and you have to be humble. And so I think for me, humility was the greatest lesson that I learned in that moment, you know, being in, in wholesale. And my job was to implement the vision of the brand, you know, and we were guardians of the brand. And so with that, I focused on on more driving the visibility of the brand within the wholesale channels, building out shops within Saks, Neiman's, you know, Nordstrom's and even Barney's at the time and just focusing on driving. And, you know, we had success. Thankfully, the brand, you know, we had great creative directors in Mira Grazia and Paolo. And then we had a great management team who believed in me and my vision to kind of execute it. And they were all based in Milan. So I was able to forge relationships there that helped me find some success within the organization and in the industry. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Fashion Moment podcast. Whether you're a fashion lover or just fashion curious, welcome. I literally love bringing you one-on-one interviews week after week with your fashion favorites. I get inspired every time, and I hope you do too. This podcast is not sponsored, and all of us here are freely giving our time because we all believe in this, and we love it. I would love to continue this great work and bring you even more content, exclusive features, and live events in the years ahead. If you love the podcast or just want to support, buy me a coffee. Yes, a coffee. You can visit buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment to become a fashion friend for one coffee a month, $5, or click the support tab to grab any amount you'd like. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment. Thank you for supporting us. Now on to the show. Sean Pian is the chief architect and creative director of Luxury House June 79. I was first acquainted with Sean during my time as an intern through the Black Retail Action Group. And I was placed with the buying group at Bloomingdale's and my best friend Aaron was paired with Saks Fifth Avenue. Now Sean and his menswear team at Saks were unlike anyone I had ever seen. First, they were black in the fashion and retail space. And secondly, they had presence, polish and impeccable style. And I mean, I've been a fan ever since. Sean's accolades as an industry veteran and pioneer are endless. He spent nine years in the buying office at Saks, spanning men's accessories, footwear, and outerwear. And he also served as president and managing director of Balmain USA and vice president of wholesale at Valentino USA. In 2020, Sean brought his decades-long experience to the forefront as an entrepreneur this time by establishing his own luxury menswear brand, in pursuit of the unsuit, June 79. 
Now, Sean doesn't do a lot of interviews. So, you know, I am beyond honored that he took the time to chat with me about his journey. I mean, I see and I feel God speaking through so many of my guests on this show, and I guarantee you're going to feel inspired after listening to our conversation. Check it out. Thank you so much for being on the show. Like, I am such a fan of your work, and I think... You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were at Saks, were you ever like a mentor to like the folks at the Black Retail Action Group? Like, yeah, for Bragg, yeah, I was. Yeah, you know what? It was you and who's the other gentleman um, at Saks? He was also Sean Howell. Yes, the Shans. Okay, because my friend Aaron. My friend Aaron was like, we're, you know, like Sean was her mentor. And so I remember when you guys would come in and we were like, oh my God, like there's black people at sex. Can you believe it? And every time they show up, they're like suited and booted and ready to go. We were like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> so thank you for showing up. <laughs> always, always. We had to, we had to rep just not for the culture, but you know, for those behind us to make sure that they saw how it was done and they can, you know, not do it exactly the same way because everyone's got to, you know, carve out their own path. But it was always about, um, you, you know, creating a path for others to follow through. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love to start at the beginning. I'm like BK all day, which I love. So where where are you from and what was it like growing up there? Um, I grew up in Brooklyn. My Brooklyn mm. was very different. You know, Brooklyn in the in the 80s and 90s was a very different borough than today. So, you know, we came up in, you know, the concrete jungle. And for me, you know, I started from very humble beginnings, um, one of six. And growing wow. up, you know, it's um it's it, it's very different, especially in Brooklyn. And you look across the way into the city and you know that there's a very different um, you know, lifestyle happening. And mm. so I think one of the things that um, became a motivator for me, you know, was just um, understanding, all right, how did they get there? And and what is it like, you know, we didn't have necessarily the tools, but, hmm. you know, we had to hustle and drive. And so um, one of the quotes I heard early on from one of my coaches was that, you know, um, hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle. So it's something yes. that I've always applied to, to everything that I do. I love that so much. And, you know, your, your late brother was mentioned in like a previous interview. And I'm just curious, like what sort of influence did he have on you just like in your life? And like, what are some of the lessons that you learned growing up with him? Yeah. June, June was, was big bro, big protector, big, all of that. And, and um, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, everyone just tests you for, you know, any reason, even for those who are of the age group, if you had a jam sport, you know, they were going to try to take your jam sport. If you had a pair of Jordans, <laughs> They were going to try to take your joints. And so, you know, for him, he was a protector. And then, you know, later on in life, as I went on a very different path, he became more of an inspiration. Like, yo, why aren't you doing this? You know, I was on the corporate side and business side of fashion. And he was always like, you know, why aren't you doing your own line? Why aren't you doing your own wow. thing? Why you could be the next FUBU. And I'm like, all right, now, you know, this is when <laughs> FUBU was like on the tail and nothing gets yeah. thing. I'm not knocking FUBU. But, you know, at the time it was, it was, um, you know, we were evolving as a culture. And so, um, you know, he just always felt that I could, even though I couldn't see it at the time, you know, start and do my own thing. Um, and, you know, eventually I did. And, you know, the fortunate and unfortunate part is that he's not around to see it. 
But the fortunate part is that he gets to live and breathe it. And I get to remember him through this process every day. That's beautiful. I love that so much. So, you know, I got to ask you, you mentioned the Jan sport FUBU, like what's your earliest fashion memory? Cross color. I used to rock (laughs) them. Yo, I had these yellow cross color jeans that I wore like two, three days a week. And I had to, um, you know, it became memorable. Everybody, like, oh, you still wearing those? So I had to switch it up. And then I got oh, like, my goodness. yeah. So cross color was early. Um, Fubu, of course, Carl Kanai. I was a big yes. Carl Kanai. So, you know, and then, you know, it starts to elevate. And I remember in college, I was, um, I was into Sean John. So the sweatsuits, but I was always yes. a Jordan guy because that's just the borough, right? And, um, and then it evolved, it evolved into designer and involved into other, you know, product that I couldn't afford because, <laughs> right. that's just what it was you know, iceberg was big. Yep, you know? yep. So I had to, it over here. <laughs> and, you know, all of that. So, and then, you know, it started to evolve as I grew and, and, and definitely my fashion taste, some things have been a constant and some things mm-hmm. are ever evolving. I love it. And you mentioned college. I mean, I'm based in Silver Spring, Maryland now. So you attended hey. the University of hey. Maryland and you studied international hey. business. Like what, like, did you have your eyes sort of set on fashion at the time? Like, were you going to go into investment banking? Like, what were you thinking at that time? I was, I thought I was going to go into finance and investment mm-hmm. banking. I didn't know what side of banking I was going to go into, but it was definitely finance. Um, I was just trying to figure it all out. And so I, uh, um, very early on, I think I wanted to be more of a James Bond kind of guy. So I wanted yes. the international experience. I wanted to, you know, have the sweater around the neck while you're on a boat headed yep. to that no one can pronounce. So I kind of wanted that lifestyle, but you know, I had a, um, you know, a very, um, <laughs> meager budget, but, you know, coming out of school for me was, um, was really life-changing because I thought my career a few times I thought my career was going to go one way and it went a very mm. different way. And so I had to, um, you know, pivot and, and go through with that. So what I thought was going to be initially, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I was a criminal wow. justice major, um, changed my major a few times um, and then settled on, on, on business, on international business and thought that that was going to be the path for me. But, um, you know, God had other plans. And so fashion, I, um, I wind up taking an internship. It was a long, longer story to it, but I won't dive into it. But I wanted to take an internship with JC Penny. Yeah, and I saw that. Did you move to Texas as an I assistant did. buyer? I did. I did. I moved there um, because I got a taste of it. And I wanted it was the one thing that I felt like allowed me to be creative, but still business analytically focused. And so at the time, JC Penny had the best um, internship in the country. You know, when you look it up back then in the early 2000s, they were out of, they had just moved out of New York and they were in Plano. But wow. they talked through all aspects of retail from sourcing, marketing, buying, planning, um, you know, all the business functions, um, logistics. So I got a taste wow. of all that early on and um, settled in on buying and and um, and that part of the business. So it allowed me to be part of I was, just, you know, more or less thinking if any company struggles, one of the advice I got early on, what's the one job that they're always going to want to keep within the organization? So at the wow. time, if you're in they need people to pick product and to manage it. Right. Yeah. So for me, that was something that was always um, top of mind, um, being, you know, um, someone that's part of the PL and not a support function to the PL. What is PL, Sean, for those who may not know? <laughs> Profit and losses. It's, it's okay. much, yeah, it's accounting. It's, it's, 
it's what tells you how you're doing in business. It, it tells you what you're bringing in, what you're spending and the difference between the both. I love it so much. And what department were you in, by the way, at JCPenney? Like, did you like move around or how did that work? I started off in men's tailored clothing, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, I started off there. I did it, it. My internship was in men's accessories. Um, and then I, um, I was selected. It was funny because the internship was a pretty hectic internship. It was like mm. 50 people only got 12 got selected. Wow. And we had all the group projects and I Early on, I said, God, this should have been a reality show. If I'd known <laughs> reality TV would have went the direction that it did, it would have been called The Intern because like people were trying to like sabotage other people's oh, projects. No. It was just, it was messy. But it was, it was still fun. I learned a lot. Um, and for me, I think, you know, part of me when I present is there's some honesty and uh, vulnerability to the business. Mm. Um, and so, you know, fortunately for me, I was selected. And then I, my first role was being um, in men's tailor clothing. And so, wow. uh, yeah. Oh my God. You've been in like menswear for a minute. I know you've had moments where you sort of pivoted out and we're going to get down to that, Yeah. but yeah. you know, so the pivot, you became a woman's buyer at Macy's Yeah. and then directly following you go back to menswear at Saks. Yeah. 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 To a senior buying role, which is major, you guys, it's, Especially like for people of color at that time, major. At that time, there was there was very few of us. Yeah, yeah. We were like, where are they? Where are they? So, yeah. what were some of the key lessons that you learned as a buyer, and what makes a great buyer? Um, I think one is that you really have to be gutsy um, in, in in your approach to buying, because I think those who buy from a safe Place and just um, look at spreadsheets, you know, are always going to be up against a younger version of themselves wow. um, versus a better version of yourself. And I think that um, for me, when I first um, got into my buying role, which was men's footwear, um, which, you know, I've, I've spoken on previously, but it's, it was all black and brown shoes, you know, and for me, I was looking at all the data, all the analytics, and we were... Um, you know, our average age of our customer was like 54 or 55 wow. or something. So in my mind, I was like, God, in 10 years, our customer is going to be on the verge of retirement. Like, what are we doing to cultivate a new customer for men's footwear? And so what I, you know, went after was this men's sneaker business. And so this designer sneaker business that really wasn't there. And so, um, you know, working with Prada, the America's Cup was a big deal. And we went after that. And wow. worked with them with Gucci early on. I think a lot of people thought I was crazy. You know, funny <laughs> enough, my first presentation was about going after the men's sneaker business. And wow. I was showing sneakers with suits and all that. And I was asking for money to buy more into sneakers. And I remember I had a meeting. It was on the 19th floor at Saks. And um, I had a boss who was very supportive in Tom Ott. And then uh, we presented and, I, you know, we were pretty much laughed out of the room. And everyone oh, told us. And so in trying to go after this sneaker business and, you know, I was really persistent and Tom at the time was just like, look, I don't necessarily, you know, fully understand this sneaker design, but you do. And, and I support you. So let's go. Wow. And we asked a lesser amount and we grew that business. I mean, we grew the business fourfold and that was what led the whole sneaker design a sneaker chart. So I was traveling to Florence, to Rome, wow. to Milan, 
all part of the buys, all sitting with their merchandising teams to help them understand the culture, um, you know, and, and, and what to do there. So, um, you know, early on, I was, I was, I, I joke around now that I was giving away the farm for free, but, um, not for free, but, you know, for very little, for what that did to the industry at the time. So then yeah. everyone from Neiman's to Nordstrom's to all the other, um, designer brands. So how has your buying experience helped you as a designer? Oh, it's big. As a designer, I think for me, buying was all about editing, right? Because you see a lot of product. And how are you going to edit down to uh, tell a specific story or message and have that come across to the consumer as, oh, I get it, yeah. right? Um, and so when you're designing, you know, I got all these ideas now that I'm like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. And it's like, all right, let's pull it back. Let's edit that down. I've had to, you know, when we showed for New York Fashion Week, my collection for spring was a lot wider and bigger and I wanted to show more colors and I was like all right we're gonna have like 50 models in that and I was like <laughs> no. and then I sat back and for me one approach I always take is to put the kill test to everything why does it why do we need it wow. why do we need to exist are we talking to the same customer are three items talking to one customer wow. so let's just come that into one and so for us we tailored it down to you know a 19 uh um runway look and it achieved the same message wow. and so that editing to me from a designing standpoint is a very similar process that just helps allow to kind of condense and when you think about the world today it's very different than even you know five ten years ago because now you know the human brain has somewhat shifted people what do they say if you if a page doesn't load in six seconds or less like 45 percent of people just move on wow and so when you think about that time frame, something's not loading, you're like, all right, I'll come back to it and just move yes. on. So we're just moving at a more rapid pace. So if you're not receiving a certain amount of information in a certain period of time, which is now in Miller and and you know to some degree nanoseconds, you know, people are moving on. So the communication has to be different, it has to be clear, it has to be concise, you know, and you just have to hit the nail on the head. I love it so much. You know what? I could go into buying all day, like, <laughs> but I, I have to ask. So for those aspiring to get into fashion and any sort of capacity specifically, like in designing and merchandising, would you recommend that they go into some form of buying to learn the business? Um, I don't know if it has to be buying, but I think it has to be some form of business within the fashion side. You could be a planner. You could be, you could still be creative and be numbers focused, but I think always helping understand what drives your business is key. And wow. so, you know, the volume, I think there's a lot of creatives out there who just don't, you know, that business is not their forte. And so, you know, for me, I went the opposite route. I started off more on the business side, the strategy, the merchandising, and then I shifted into this uh, creative. And so, and it's something that I fought for a while. And I think for a lot of young um, designers and creatives out there, just understanding the business side of it helps you, um, you know, just move a little bit more freely, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, you won't get caught up on the back end. Well, how come you don't know this? Or why aren't you doing yeah. that? And it's like, well, I didn't know, you know, the opportunities are there um, to learn and, 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 and just pull these things in, you know, into the repertoire, because it, it really does make a difference. I love it so much. Um, so you then we're going to go into like, 
the second act. I feel like you have like three acts going on in your career. So second act. So you then catapult further into the luxury world, becoming the, let me make sure I get it right, the vice president of wholesale and commercial development in the Americas for Valentino. This included overseeing the wholesale division for women's and men's ready-to-wear footwear and accessories and Red Valentino. Wow, Sean, I can't even like the boats you were on. Like, I can't even like, what was it like stepping into that role? Um, first of all, when you put it like that, it makes it sound way more exciting. I mean, I'm living through you <laughs> through this resume, Sean. <laughs> uh, jumping from the buying to the wholesale side, I will say it was probably one of the hardest moments in my career. Wow. Uh, and while the role was a high visible role and, and really exciting, you know, the work that had to be done was, was very tough. You're dealing with personalities. Um, I wasn't necessarily welcomed into the wholesale world to be transparent. Yeah. And so I had to build relationships. I had to build trust and it doesn't take a day. You have to kind of prove yourself because when you're on the wholesale side, you're catering to buyers who are used to being catered to, Yeah. you know, essentially. And so even if something's, you know, a buyer can come in and select something and you're like, oh, I don't think that that's a good idea. This is not one of our best sellers. And then we want it anyway. Yeah. And if it doesn't sell, they come back like, it, you know, it didn't sell right? it to us. I'm like, I tried to sell. No, no, no. I don't, I don't remember that. And oh God. So you run into those moments and then you have to manage that situation. If you, if you're tempered, you won't be successful. If you're, you know, a smart aleck and you got a sharp tongue, you know, it could hurt your business and you have to be humble. And so I think wow. for me, humility was the greatest lesson that I learned in that moment, you know, being in, in wholesale. And I was, you know, I focused on what I knew. I hired people that focused on what I didn't, I wasn't necessarily strong at. Mm. So I was able to bring in a team, you know, it's funny, my first week, three people like resigned, you know, and they were like, look, we don't know you, but mm, this, you know, we're not, we're just going to go in a different direction. And wow. so, you know, for me, I was like, that's fine. Great. Yeah. You know, thanks for coming. I'm glad. I'm sure you did some great work here. And, and um, you know, and fortunate for me, I had enough people in my network that I was able to replace and people Absolutely. who believed that I was looking to implement. And my job was to implement the vision of the brand, you know, and we were guardians of the brand. And so with that, um, hmm. you know, I focused on, on more driving the visibility of the brand within the wholesale channel, building out shops um, within that, within Saks, uh, Neiman's you know, Nordstrom's and then, um, and even Barney's at the time and just focusing on driving. And, you know, we had success. Thankfully the brand, you know, we had great creative directors in Mira Grazia and Pia Paolo. And then we had a great management team who believed in me and my vision to kind of execute Wonderful. it. So, um, and they were all based in Milan. So I was able to forge relationships there that, you know, helped me um, find some success within the organization and in the industry. Amazing. You see what black people got to go through. You don't have to say it, Sean. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the journey, for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I try to, I think at this point in my career, like, you, you know, you, do, you don't want to, at some point, you know, the tell-all book will come out. Right, but, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on it. <laughs> yeah, the journey for us is always going to be a little bit more, not a little bit more, far more challenging than some of our other counterparts. And so yeah. you know, the goal is how do you navigate that? And in some cases, you just got to navigate it with, with grace, you know, otherwise yes. you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to keep up with some of how these folks think, you know, and, and fundamentally we think very different. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you Which know, makes goal, it beautiful. That's what diversity does. That's exactly what it is. You know, you want to be, you want someone in a room who thinks very differently than everyone else, you know, and I usually tend to be that. I mean, I was the only person in the room in most rooms. I love yeah. it, but I love that you also have advocates and, you know, like whether they're in the room or abroad. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. So you leave Valentino and then you go on to be the managing director of the Americas. At ba- Let me make sure I say Balmain. Some people say Balmain and then other people say Balmain. What is the proper way to say it? <laughs> I mean, I'm like Belma. <laughs> I'm like Belma. Belma is the way to say it. If you're French, most you know people in France say Belma. You yeah, know, you don't pronounce the N, y'all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, Looking you at know, me like I'm crazy. It's cool. Only 17 percent of Americans have passports, so you know uh, a lot of haven't you know been exposed to it. Exposure is the key. Real talk, <laughs> real talk. So, what was it like working for Belma? Um, you know, it was equally as challenging when I joined, um, the brand, it was, um, it was just acquired by Mayula. Um, the goal, you know, when I took over, we had a very small distribution in the U S, um, from a wholesale standpoint, we had one or in Soho and that was it. And so the goal was to really expand the brand, um, create, you know, a very luxury, but cool, um, you know, aesthetic and stature within the store. And, you know, Olivier had a vision for what the stores look like. I opened up the LA store. I, um, I secured and opened up, uh, Miami, Las Vegas. Wow. And we opened up the store in San Paulo. And so there was, you know, a lot to be done. So I was constantly working and traveling, um, with the brand to kind of expand, you know, at the time it was just, you know, the biker d- denim, yeah. The t-shirt, the bodycon dress, and then the six-button blazer. And those are the key pieces. But, you know, I think, um, you know, just explaining how the U.S. operates and how it worked, you know, allowed us, you know, along with relationships with stylists and celebrities, allowed us to kind of drive and really take the brand to the next level. And so from there, um, you know, I was able to find success in growing, you know, channels on on both ends from an omni-channel standpoint. So both the stores both the visibility of the brand and then um, the wholesale side of it as well. That sounds like a crap load of work, Sean. <laughs> very glamorous, but... I opened up the U.S. office, so it was a very centralized model. Everything was done out of Paris, so I opened up the, the U.S. office for the brand back in uh, 2017. So, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Um, we have you to thank for that. Thank you, Sean. So what were some of the challenge? Well, you already mentioned some of the challenges of working for a global brand, but after you sort of left that world, like what were some of the key takeaways for you in terms of moving forward in, in your career? Um, I, yeah, well, I think there's multiple th- takeaways. I mean, for me, I think that, now I think, I know for a fact that, you know, once you kind of step out of certain roles, you need to understand who respects you and who respects the chair that you sit in. Wow. And once you separate yourself from the two, um, you'll start to see who really, you know, respects you per se. Um, and so that was something for me that I had to better understand. And once I did, it was easy to move forward. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pretty confident in in who, you know, in our culture, we say who, you know, who rocks with you and who doesn't. Yeah. You know? And, and, and um, you know, and that became clear and evident. And so for me, you know, I think after leaving that, you know, I had a, I thought I had a plan that was going to go one way. Hmm. Didn't necessarily work out. I was consulting. I was working with different brands. And then I, um, and then the pandemic hit. And so, you know, all of that kind of shifted for me. And so I wanted to think about, all right, what was next? And hmm. I remember, you know, at this time, I, I started meeting with a couple of organizations um, to go back into this kind of corporate world. And it literally probably, it, you know, the seed was planted for me to do my own thing, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it didn't really fully hit. I kept pushing that to the side for more safety and comfort, you know, in, in an organization. Cause that's like, ah, oh, it's going to take this, it's going to take that. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, it hit me that this was the path that I, I needed to and had to go through. And I kept hearing my brother's voice in my head, like, yo, now's the time. Wow. Like, what are you doing? Why are you like, what are you doing? You know? And it was just that. And so, um, so yeah. What pushed you out the door? Like to just be like, you know what? I'm doing it. That's it. Like what was the straw that broke the camel's back there? The straw. So I started everything in like May, June of 2020, you know, designing, but in August I was in Martha's Vineyard. Um, and I was there for like three weeks. It was like during wow. the pandemic their family mm-hmm. and um leaving that trip um that vacation was a huge moment for me because that's something that t- i was just like this is it this is what i'm doing from here on out i met some amazing people had some great conversation and just conversation about like just life and you know mm. just, just different layers of depth and we just you know all our people it was just our people that were out there just like you know, enjoying their summer, but also the conversations from, you know, kids in college to those who were like, you know, well into their, you know, fifties and sixties, just about what life looks like, looked like for them. Um, And then it just kind of helped me reiterate, you know, what the goals were for me. So um, internally, so I left that trip and I was like, this is what I'm doing. Wow. And (laughs) so you get back, what, like, what inspired the name? So June is June, my brother. Okay. Cause some people would be like, Oh, G-, like the month they were born or something. So yeah, I'm like, but also the month and year that I was born. Wow. So, yeah, so it plays on a couple of different things. 79 is a periodic number for gold too. So when we were doing it, it was, um, when I was started, I was going to like have this like gold logo and, <laughs> and then I realized it was like very like Versace esque. And I, I was mean- like, nice. Yeah, cool, but you know, you know our culture. I mean, we love yes, some gold, you know? I got a little nameplate right here. <laughs> you know, whether it was door knockers or the big, uh, you know, Cuban links, we were, um, you know, that was part of the culture. So for me, initially, I think that, um, that you know, that was the name. And then it played on so many different things. And then the more I started to just speak it into existence, Wow. You know, it speaks to a man of a certain age. It speaks to so many different, and just not not just men. You know, it speaks to people of a certain age where you know we've seen enough. I think our generation has seen a lot of um, things within our lifetime because the world is smaller, right? So communication travels. You can hear about something crazy that happened in Indonesia. You can yeah. you know, news travels, and so 
um, you know, everything from the, you know, late eighties to now, you know, there's been some pretty significant moments that have happened in history that we've worked and survived through. Wow. And so, um, while everyone, you know, I'm, I'm part of Gen X, you know, and I think, you know, for the Gen X and millennials, you know, who as young kids saw 9-11, who went through the, um, the stock yeah. market, who went through a pandemic and we've all come out of it stronger and better than before. So, you know, June 79 represents that. And also for me, um, it really represents, um, you know, um, a new standard, you know, of luxury. I think a lot of mm. people, you know, um, love to, um, you know, glorify some of these brands that have paid us no mind for years, you know, and I was part of that machine and I was in mm -hmm. those rooms. And so I understand, you know, some of the things that were said and how they said it. And it was really hurtful at the time. And I think in some cases I stood up for it. In some cases I chose not to fight that battle. Um, and in, in, in all cases, I knew that, you know, I could do better at some point. I just didn't know what direction my life would go into. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things early on, I said this to JC Penny, I don't know what kind of boss I will be or what kind of person. I just know the kind of person I don't want to be. Yeah. And that something that was really important um, for me. So, you know, June 79 speaks to all that. It speaks to a plethora of experiences and the way in which we want to see the world. My goal is to leave the world in a better place in which I got it. Gotta go ahead, Sean. I love it so much. I, I mean, so many gems so far. I'm like, I'm going to re-listen to this and just take my notes. But I got to ask you, what does it mean to be in pursuit of the unsuit? Oh, wow. <laughs> Pursuit of the unsuit really speaks to the guy who respects tradition, but, you know, we just create our, we create our own rules. You know, we mm -hmm. learn the rules, we know how to break them properly. You know, I can wear, you know, when you think of June 79, you're wearing a suit, but it's not the suit that, you know, our parents wore. This is the suits mm -hmm. that we wear, we show up to, you know, we can dress it up, we can dress it down. We live in a you know, poly pandemic world where we're jumping from a zoom to meeting someone for lunch to yeah. a meeting and then running out to meet friends for drinks. And so you don't want to feel overdressed or underdressed in any situation. The days of trying to switch it up, you know, yeah. over. we can, you know, and it's, and I, you know, the pursuit of the young suit is really those who want to represent themselves in mm. their product versus the brands. You know, when you walk up to someone, someone's got a big LV on your chest. First thing you're like, oh God, here we go, right? You know, or, <laughs> yep. or whatever. I shouldn't say brand. I just sorry. I try not to. Spot other, but when they're wearing a certain monogram right. of another, it's like you already kind of know. But when someone's wearing a fine cut, you know, garment or suit or just product, you just know. So when you look at our guy, when you look at the June '79 man, you know, you kind of do a double take. You're like, oh, okay. What's yes. you know, that's what, and 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 you're more wondering who he is as a person, not what he's. He's like, who are you? What's your life about? You know, and and um, and so, you know, when you think about the unsuit, it's the guy, you know, who who follows that. He's got the hustlers mentality, but you know, he could be a lawyer. You know, he's he's got swag, but he's a doctor. You know what I'm saying? And and um, and and that's the guy that I think um we want to speak to. And I, mm -hmm. I think the guy, you know, whether he's young or, um, you know, he's more mature and he's a dad and he's, you know, it, it, there's still no one speaking to that guy. Mm. Uh, in today's yeah. environment. And so, 
our goal is to speak to him and 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 really those who surround him. You know, that's what you as you know, girlfriend. Oh, I'm gonna get him June 79. I want him yes. and I want to go out with him to dinner and let him just yes. so that's what you um um and that's what it represents, excuse me. I love that so much. Um in a previous interview, you mentioned that you know you want to build a brand that is global. So I have to ask, is there a country that you have your eyes set on? I heard like things are popping in Japan, but like, is there a country where you're just like, Ooh, I'd love to have my product there. If you're allowed to say. Oh yeah, I can. I'm, I'm all over Europe. So everything from UK down to the Eastern block, I'm trying to like, you know, take over. (laughs) Um, And look, I think, you know, also I want to, um, really go into the far east as well i do want you know guys in japan wearing our product you know hong kong all the major cities um you know but there's a few things that we have to do to make sure that the product fits into that lifestyle Mm. so Mm -hmm. um, i know that now um as we stand you know we fit very much um but we're also creating a new playbook june 79 is a very undefined space so where I think I've been fortunate in my career is that I've been able to create businesses where there wasn't any before, you know, wow. case is the footwear example with sneakers. And so it wasn't there before. And so June, like this product wasn't necessarily here before, but it makes sense for today. Yeah. And so um, when, um, you know, it makes sense for the U S it makes sense for Europe, you know, in UK and in, in Italy and in France and, and all across, you know, those surrounding um, countries, it makes sense. And so, there, I would love to see some growth there. I'd love to see, um, it's funny, we had a customer shop from Australia on our site and I was kind of like excited. I was like, all right, we got Australia now. Like, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, for us, it's, it's Europe. And then we just want to continue to make sure that, you know, one of the goals for me with expansion is make sure we understand how the product relates to the consumer. Mm. And that's something that I just want to continue to, to tweak um, depending on where we are, because for me, my strategy as well is local is a new global. So if we localize the product, it becomes a global product. Oh my God. I love that. Another like tweetable. I love it. So. All right. Don't steal that though. I'm going to charge your royalty. I'm I'm not. No, no. Honestly, I'm like, I'm ready for the book, Sean. Just, you know, let us know. (laughs) We'd love to have you back. So. Uh, you are, you always seem to have like your finger on the pulse of what's going on and things are changing rapidly around the globe. So like, how do you stay on top of this? Like how, like, what is your creative process like as you're designing? Like, do you go for walks? Do you like fly around to different countries? Are you looking at those trend reports? I don't even know who, who, who does them now, but like what colors are going to be in, in like 2050? <laughs> Yeah. No, I look at all of that. I do. I look at trend reports. I try to understand, but, you know, also I keep my ears to the ground. I want to see what's happening and, and, um, you know, just within our culture and outside of it too. Um, and so I'm, you know, I usually gravitate towards the business side of things and now I'm pushing to gravitate towards the creative side of things. And so I think that, um, me trying to create a new playbook, you know, requires a very different level of, um, of depth that I have to get into, um, with products. So my design process is, you know, it starts with, all right, what, um, I start from a color standpoint, then I start to a design and aesthetic standpoint, 
And then I start to like a rationality standpoint too, um, or I, you know, layer that in. And so one of the things that, you know, I designed was a turtleneck, but I made it a short sleeve turtleneck. And the whole point of that was that most of the time I'm wearing a turtleneck, I'm not just wearing it outside. I'm wearing it underneath a jacket. Yeah. So having that freedom of, of, of doing that um, allows for, you know, just a different level of comfort when I wear this turtleneck because I'm feel, you know, not constricted up here, but I um, mean, your neck, you, there's something hugging your neck, you yeah. know, and then at the end of the day, your arms are a little bit more free. So if you're wearing under a blazer, it just, it, it leads to a little bit more comfort. And so when I first did it, it was like, wow, this is a little nuts. And it looked a little <laughs> different. But once you wear it, everyone that wore it was like, yo, this is it. It's amazing. I love it. It's like, why didn't anyone think of this before? And so, you know, you're taking something that um, is traditional and just and just modernizing it. And that's what we, you know, I've been able, fortunate to be able to do and create throughout this process. So things like that will continue. Um, I just finished up our summer delivery and next fall. I'm really excited. Amazing. We yes. can't wait can't wait um you know i have to ask you've just done so many amazing things throughout your life and you've overcome so much is there someone or uh, or a group of someone's who really helped you or mentored you throughout the process um in terms of mentorship i've had mentors all throughout but mentors more so not in like an official mentor capacity yeah yeah. But just, you know, friends that I've been able to just kind of crowdsource, talk to like, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, I definitely have that. Um, you know, one of Sean Howell, who's a good friend, um, and family to me, you know, has always been that, you know, I have Tom, who I mentioned, who was at Zach yeah. with and we still do some work together on, on still on the consulting side. Amazing. And so a person to kind of talk to. And I've, I've had, you know, I have a, a, a list of that, you know, but also my family has been, you know, my wife has been super supportive in me taking this on and I've got three kids. And so I got two. That's why I was like the risk. I was like, huh, Sean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It, 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 and this is more or less, you know, for them to understand that you can take these risks. And if you're supported in the right way, you know, you're going to have some success there. You know, my son, um, who is great and my daughter, who's absolutely amazing. You know, they both have kind of seen this process from the beginning. I turned the basement wow. into a studio. They're down there. You know, she's like, this looks great. What is this? I want to wear it. How can I do it? How can I, you know? And then, you know, my daughter's a little bit more honest. She's like, mm, I don't know about this. Dad. This don't look right. And so I'm like, for real? You know, like, you going to talk to me like that? Yep. yep. <laughs> but and, and so she's super honest. And then, you know, I've been able to, you know, I was in isolation while I was working on this. And so, you know, just being able to talk out loud to my wife about, you know, some of the things that I was working on and her feedback has definitely helped me. So, you know, having that, that support system and honestly, the universe has been so kind to me. My God has been really, really, really oh, kind. No. To me. I, you know, I found myself at, 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 at points where, you know, I was stuck and then something opened up or someone came in and said, Hey, why don't you try this? Or someone was there to help. So I've had moments where, um, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, and you know, my approach has always been you know, the definition of being lucky is when preparation meets opportunity, right? It's like one of the things you hear early on and you're like, all right. Yeah. You mean you hear it, you're like, all right, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Right. But it's not until it starts to happen because if I wasn't prepared for those moments, I wouldn't have gotten lucky. Yeah. Um, wow. and so um, that really hit. So, you know, shout out to anyone or anyone who's um, anyone and everybody who's, you know, even 
mentioned the word or just said, hey, keep going. I like what you're doing. You know, all the support helps because some days are tough. You know, when you live in your head, one wrong left and you yep. be head for a minute. And so um, being able to live outside your head allows you to think a little bit more clearly. And um, my network of friends and family have allowed me to do that. Ugh. I love that. I am inspired today, Sean. You do it every time. If y'all haven't heard him speak on Clubhouse, I don't know if you're still on Clubhouse. Clubhouse. I know you were on for a minute, but <laughs> was, I was doing the pandemic. I was uh, the work from home lunch discussions. That was at me and Ronnie. Shout out to Ronnie. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but he was also great. You know, um, and we were co-hosting this work from home, and I was just helping people out. Anyone that had, you know, needed advice or wanted to talk to whatever their ideas were. Um, and that was one of the things too, because it dawned on me during the pandemic that I wasn't the only one, you know, I used to say it was naive of me to think that I'm the only one coming up with something during this time. Um, you take this while, you know, the pandemic, you know, as horrible as it was, you know, it, it became an opportunity for those to take a break and really think about what they want their lives to be. And so the fact that I still have people reaching out, thanking um, thanking me and I've been able to make some relationships through that, um, you know, more from a mentorship standpoint. So, you know, I'm thankful for that because it, um, you know, for me, helping others has been something that I've always loved to do, um, whether it's, it's you know, a 20 minute meeting or mentor, you know, it's just something that I really um, enjoy doing because I early on in my career did not have that. And so I know what it looks like when you don't have it. Um, and when you do have it, you know, the, the possibilities, you know, are endless. So, um, it's a joy for me to help people. Ugh, love that. Well, we're coming to the end. I know, I know I don't want it to end, but I ask all of my guests, what is one of your, it's easy, or maybe it's not. What is one of your favorite fashion moments of all time? It can be something you witnessed. It could be something that happened to you personally or professionally. Like people sometimes have childhood stories, like totally up to you, but something that was just like, wow, like this is a magical moment. And I love fashion so much. Mm, like, you know, that tingly, like you're just like, like, oh. you know, there's a lot of moments with that I've had in my career that were like some pretty incredible fashion moments. And it dawned on, it just hit me today. What the most incredible moment was for me was our fashion show during Harlem Fashion Week. Um, I kind of went, I, I experienced it. And I, the next day I was right back to work. Like I just, I've been moving since I have not I've probably been working seven, not probably, I have been working seven days straight, probably since like, Ooh. you know, May or June. Um, and so, but that show, I remember this feeling of like, you did that, you know, and, and um, it'd have to be that because the amount of work and time and everything that was put into that was, was, was pretty wild. Um, and so shout out to Brandis too. For, yes. Providing that moment in Harlem Fashion, or her entire team, Brandis, Felita, you know, they just help, you know, have a, a dream come true pretty early on in our in our brand history. Um, so um, that moment had to it stands out. It, it, it became number one very quickly. Oh, yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Sean. It has been 
such a pleasure to have you on the show and, you know, following your career from afar, you know, we always keep our eyes out to see what pe- people research. are up to. You got your research. You brought a moment that I haven't thought about in years. And I was like, wait a minute. It's like, all right. Play around on the show. <laughs> I see. Kudos, kudos. Ah, uh, but thank you. You're truly an inspiration and I am truly honored to have you here. So thank you. It's an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you. And, um, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime and, and, and we'll find some new topics to talk about. And- yes. And I can't wait for the collection too. I'm like, Ooh, what are you talking about? I'm excited. Thank you. Honestly, our brand, you know, funny enough is as we say menswear brand, but we probably had a quarter of our business has been women buying our jackets. So that's wow. something that is um, kind of emerged. And now, you know, I'm quickly reevaluating. I mean, I, I, I definitely wanted to go into women's wear. Yeah, it's something that um, I thought I was going to do before I did men's funny enough, but women's wear is something that I've always um, paid attention to. Um, and so we're going to go into that probably sooner than we um, than I initially thought. But seeing women wear the product is pretty dope. So, well, I mean, suits are in right now, too. I'm like, we deserve great tailoring. And for some reason, the men tend to get all of the, you know. Well, yeah, the love so and care there. Not, you know, don't, you know, try it on. Let's see. <laughs> sure, it looks good. Shame is blood. Ah, I love it. Well, thank you, Sean. You Appreciate you. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.